Specialty Story, session number 117. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. I hope you're having a great week. I'm excited to bring another great physician on the podcast today to talk about his journey to medicine, especially a long journey, including being an international medical graduate. Today, we have Dr. Oyadale Adheyi on the podcast talking about his journey to pathology, academic pathology, to be specific. Now, he's been in practice now for 14 years, and we had a little bit of trouble with reception in our call today, but that's because he was hanging out in the basement, as pathologists do. Or maybe not. You'll find out in our episode. We started the discussion by talking about what drew him to pathology to begin with. Uh, that would be a few years after med school. So I was a family physician for a few years. But in med school, I always loved uh, the basic sciences. And at the same time, I loved practicing clinical medicine. So after a few years in family practice, I realized that pathology offers me the best opportunity to combine uh, being a basic scientist and at the same time, you know, doing clinical medicine. What was it about pathology? Did you have any exposure to it either in medical school or, or post-medical school that, that really said, oh, this, this is interesting. This is what I want instead. Because switching careers, as, as you know, it's, that's a big deal. Yeah. It is a big deal. It was a big deal. And it's ironic, too. Uh, yes, we had more exposure to pathology in my med school. I went to med school in Nigeria. And I think the curriculum has changed over the years, both in Nigeria and North America. So medical students tend to have less exposure. So I had a lot of exposure to pathology. And ironically, it was one of my worst courses <laughs> in, in med school. So at first, I was glad to be rid of pathology. I barely passed the course. But then as I practiced, I realized that, you know, in spite of my poor grades in pathology, I always loved uh, immunology especially. And I always loved uh, uh, being able to understand the pathophysiology of diseases, you know, irrespective of whether I was doing medicine or surgery. So I always loved that part of pathology. But the morphology path was not something I particularly took to as a medical student. But after about two years of practicing clinical medicine as a family physician, I realized that, one, I was bored uh, doing that. So running a clinic, my life became more like predictable. So mm. I could you know, pretty much guess the kind of patients I was going to see. So once you live in a particular area, the kind of diseases and things you see, they don't tend to change much. And were you and in the States at that point? I was still in Nigeria. Okay. So, but every so often you came across an interesting case that was quite challenging and those were the ones you referred. So you didn't even get an opportunity to do anything exotic other than, you know, what was routine. I, I, I know that family practice has evolved over years and it's not... It's no longer that way. 
So I came to the conclusion of, uh, you know, I had to make a decision if I wanted to continue doing that or not. So that was when I met a colleague, a gentleman who was going through pathology residency at the Lagos University Teaching Hospital then. So I spoke to him, I told him my concerns and everything, and I spent like half a day with him. Uh, so he told me more of pathology, and by the time I left him, I knew I wanted to be a pathologist. Uh, he's more or less answered all the questions. I still didn't get over my fear of having to look down the microscopes, you know, because that was the part I hated as a medical student. But the more I spoke with this guy and the more I realized that, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, I think the more attractive part of it was that I could specialize in pathology and still be in touch with different aspects of medicine. Also, as a pathologist, you deal with gynecologists, surgeons, and, you know, pediatricians and everybody. So that's encouraged me. And so I applied and since then I haven't looked back. So you you talked about not liking to look down the microscope, the morphology, yeah. and and we talked uh, last week as this episode comes out with Doctor Dolan about how some people are visual learners and they they like that sort of thing, and it sounds like you didn't like that. Now, as yeah. as you've been practicing your career for a while now, is that something you've learned to? tolerate or get better at or have you found areas of pathology where you don't have to do as much of that yeah so i'm actually very visual so it's again it's funny that as a visual person that was an aspect of pathology i really didn't like as a medical student mm. and i think the problem then was that i really didn't apply myself to understand you know the different kind of things i was seeing under the microscope mm. so at first i thought that where everything looked purple and the same to me. <laughs> but the now in retrospect, you know, if I would have spent more time trying to really understand, you know, what I was looking at, I probably would have come out of medical school with a different uh, understanding at that point. Mm. I am really a very visual person. And I think that is actually one of the skills that you have to have as a, as a pathologist. Uh, if you try to describe things to me, I can follow you up to a certain point, <laughs> then yeah. I lose you. But if you draw it to me or you sketch things or you just throw things on the ground, I could tell you within a few seconds, you know, how different those things look, you know. Yeah. So it's quite a visual thing and I'm a very visual person. So I wonder how much of that, very similar to me when I was in med school, studying like biochemistry again and in histology, right? Same thing, looking at microscopes going like, for me, I want to be an orthopedic surgeon. This doesn't yeah. pertain to what I need to learn. So, so you kind of mentally block it out because you're like, I don't need to know this. So I'm not going to try. Yeah, that's actually, orthopedics was my first decision as a medical <laughs> student that I was going to go into. So from my third year, early in my third year of med school, I went through changes of wanting to be an orthopedic surgeon to wanting to be a, phys uh, a pediatrician mm -hmm. and then to wanting to be a neonatologist, specifically after uh, pediatrics. And then back to wanting to be a surgeon, anything in surgery other than orthopedics. And then back to wanting to be a pediatrician. I really love being a pediatrician too. During my husbandship years, I think that was the, the rotation I enjoyed the most uh, in pediatrics. 
And um, but when I came out in, in Nigeria after your first three years, you could go straight into practicing family medicine. So when I did that for a few years, I realized that uh, you know sitting down in the clinic wasn't probably going to be my thing. Mm-hmm. I really like something that I could sit down, take my time, and uh, figure out. I also like you know solving riddles which is probably, you know, what we do in pathology. So we tie things together. We see the patient's presentation and we have the tissue ahead of or in front of us to try and uh, resolve all the questions that uh, could not have been resolved without the tissue. So I enjoyed that. I haven't looked back. I wouldn't do anything else. Other than so yeah. actually I had an opportunity to do something else. Because when I relocated to the U.S., I was already a board certified pathologist back home in Nigeria. Uh, so I came here, I did my USMLE. And at that point, you know, I had a choice of doing a different residency other than pathology. Of course, I had to do even the pathology residency all over again. Mm-hmm. So but at that point, I knew I'd found my calling. So. Yeah. And I did a second residency, even though that took extra <laughs> three, four years. Yeah. So a question that uh, I didn't send over to you, but one that uh, I want to tackle specifically because it's pathology. But what do you see as the biggest misconceptions or myths around pathology? Uh, Two, actually three. I think the first misconception is uh, the medical school curriculum itself. Yeah, when I was in med school, we were taught, despite the fact I didn't like pathology, we were taught that uh, understanding the pathologic basis of disease was important to whatever specialty you went into. I believe that is still very true. So I don't think the medical students today have the opportunity to, you know, spend that time in pathology and understand the importance of how the pathogenic basis of diseases links up to all those phenotypes that you see in the clinic and in the bedside. So that's a big thing. I'm not sure that's going to change. Uh, the second misconception is the uh, social media and the television uh, portrayal of pathology. So when most of the pathology representations on TV is geared towards the forensic aspect of pathology. So the average person who look at this and say, oh, you're a pathologist, then you must be a forensic person. So forensic happens to be just one subspecialty in pathology. It's a very exciting one. And I think that's probably why you see most on CSI and everything. <laughs> and a lot of people come to the conclusion that well, they don't want to go to medical school just to be dealing with the dead bodies. Mm. So that alone is a put off. But when people go there, what I always tell people is, as a pathologist, yes, autopsy is part of what I do, but that represents less than 1% of my workload. So that tends to grab the attention of people. I say it's less than 1%. So what do you do for the remaining 99%? Then I get to tell them that 99% of the times we are dealing with living people. And that changes the perception most of the time. So that's the big thing. We need to see pathologists in the mainstream on the TV, you know, at least representative of what the pathologist uh, actually does. And I think the third uh, problem uh, with pathology and the perception of even medical people is uh, 
Uh, we pathologists ourselves, we tend to, you know, in the olden days, pathologists tend to be in the basement, so not quite visible out there. And so there's the doctor that nobody actually sees. So now that is changing. So you see pathologists more in tumor balls and things like that. So I think at least that's a positive step towards changing the perceptive uh, perception of pathology and pathologists. So for you, you subspecialize in pathology to liver and transplantation pathology. What sorts of diseases and pathologies are you seeing as that kind of subspecialty in pathology? Yeah, so I deal with uh, medical liver diseases for the most part. But liver pathology includes the medical diseases, the tumors, you know, cancers, and also includes the transplant. Uh, my subspecialty also includes transplant pathology, which extends outside of liver into things like kidney, pancreas, small bowel transplant. So within the liver pathology context, I deal with uh, hepatologies the most, and sometimes I deal with uh, hepatobiliary surgeons. And an average case will involve uh, a liver biopsy that has been performed to try and uh, determine the kind of disease the patient has and also to grade, that is, determine how severe that disease is and also to stage, determine how advanced, uh, especially the chronic diseases. So that would be one example. Another example would be from the oncology points. Uh, so the commonest tumor in the liver are those that metastasize from other sites. And it's not unusual for a patient to present to the ICU or emergency room with uh, stage four uh, cancer. And uh, in those cases, you don't really know where the malignancy is coming from, but it's almost always that spread to involve the liver. And liver being one of the easier organs to biopsy. So I will get such a biopsy to determine what kind of cancer the patient has, where it's coming from, and also to determine what kind of treatment might be appropriate in such cases. So it's, uh, it's extends, you know, far and wide. And the third general example would be within the transplant uh, population. So we, for example, you have a patient who has been transplanted for, you know, maybe in the last few weeks. Uh, now you see the liver enzymes going up, and the question is whether this is a rejection or whether it's an infection or whether it's some kind of complications from the surgery. Uh, so different kinds of questions depending on the context. So I might get a biopsy from such a patient to determine what would be the most appropriate intervention. And you don't want to get that wrong, because if it is rejection, then you will be increasing the immunosuppression. If it's an infection, you will be reducing immunosuppression. So sometimes you need the tissue to be able to resolve that. Mm. So those are the three broad groups of kind of diseases that I see and I deal with. Yeah. What does a typical day look like for you? Uh, so apart from being a pathologist, we are also educators. So we have a residency training program, we have fellowship training programs, and uh, we also teach at uh, medical school. So an average day will be, we include sitting down with uh, trainees to go through all these biopsies and uh, 
you know, teach around the microscope. And then at the end of the day, come back to your office to be able to sign out those cases and release the report. So that's, I would say, constitute uh, maybe about, take about 50% of my time uh, when we have trainees. And of course, we have to prepare to teach medical students. Uh, some of us also have administrative responsibilities to oversee the clinical laboratories to make sure that the quality uh, of the products uh, is maintained. And so we undergo clinical accreditation every so often. Uh, the other things that we do is, uh, well, talk to people like Ryan, talk, I'm talking to you now. But I have a lot of uh, discussions, telephone, face-to-face with surgeons, hepatologists who either call or walk in to discuss a case that they just biopsied or they are about to biopsy or sometimes uh, a biopsy that we had looked at some time back and they just wanted to discuss to see what uh, should be done going forward. So there's a lot of interaction with different people within the lab, uh, trainees, the technical uh, staff, uh, clinical colleagues from other departments. What does call look like for you? Uh, the call, most of the time, our calls are around transplants uh, patients. So the commonest call we receive will be to evaluate the quality of a diseased donor uh, organ that's about to be transplanted. Uh, so sometimes, you know, the surgeon is not sure whether the quality of the graft is good to transplant into someone else. So we get a rush biopsy. And as you know, most transplants <laughs> happen after hours in the midnight. So that would be an example. Uh, my call, I don't, I'm not sure we are on call as frequently as the other departments because uh, we call, we don't cover calls on a subspecialty basis. So myself and my colleagues would take talks. So I'm probably on call like maybe one day every other week. And then uh, uh, weekend calls, you know, sometimes also come along with that. But when you are called, the chances are that you are going to get called. And we share calls also with our trainees. The residents also take calls with the faculty. So it could be quite exciting, though. Yeah. Do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital? Yeah, and I think that is one of the advantages of being a pathologist. So um, we, we usually we are not on call as frequently as most other specialties. And when you are not on call, you are not on call. When you are not working, you are not working. So it's not like, um, you know, you are always glued to your computer or to your pager or something. So when I leave work, I tend to leave everything behind and so I to concentrate with being a dad and being a husband. So pathology gives you more flexibility to manage your time and have a balance between work and family. What was the training path look like to to end up as a liver and transplant pathologist? So that's involved going through residency as a pathologist. So after med school, 
And there are two pathways. So you could go in for anatomic pathology straight, which is three years in the U.S. In other countries, probably ranges from three to five years. Or uh, you could combine anatomic and clinical pathology, which would be four years in the U.S. And then at the end of that, you will have to go for a uh, specialization training, which is a fellowship training. And that also ranges anything from one year to two years. So in my own case, I actually did two fellowships. So I did a renal pathology fellowship uh, as a research scholar prior, you know, after leaving Nigeria. And the transplant fellowship was liver and transplantation combined, which was one year for me with an option of a second research year. So it's most of the fellowship trainees are quite flexible around the training. You know, at the end of the day, you determine the kind of uh, career that you are looking at. And most training programs, like our fellowship training programs, prepare you and rearranges your training to, you know, prepare you for whatever it is that you see yourself doing. So I did one year liver and transplantation fellowship in Pittsburgh. And at the end of that one year, I took up my first uh, faculty position in Toronto as a liver and transplantation pathologist. Why did you choose to stay in academics versus going out to the community? I don't think I actually ever sat down to think about that <laughs> at any point in time. It's like, um, actually, where I came from in Nigeria, it's more like once you're a pathologist or in the university. Uh, in those days, I don't recall having anything like community pathology. So it was more like what was expected, that once you go in pathology, you are choosing an academic career. So that choice wasn't something I needed to make. And, and when I came to the U.S., you know, I realized that my love for humanology was going to be fulfilled you know, during transplantation pathology. And at that point, again, there are not many transplant programs outside of the university. There are some, but not a whole lot uh, of those. So my career path was pretty much determined for me. And I like teaching. And uh, so, but to answer your question, I don't really think there was a particular time that I sat down to determine if I wanted to go into community or or not. I, my choice is pretty much had the implication that I was going to be in academia. Hmm. What do you wish? The, the majority of people listening to this right now are not going to go into pathology to, to help them in the future, help their future pathologists that they're working with. What, what do you wish that they knew about pathology? Yeah, so the, the biggest part is to realize that the tissue that we look at under the microscope doesn't come with any magic uh, information that's going to tell us what is going on. <laughs> Pathologists, strictly speaking, is uh, putting things together. So the more you put in, the more you get out of it. If you don't interact with your pathologist to provide as much clinical information as possible, you are probably not going to get much out of that. And the way I always tell the GI fellows here yeah, and the hepatology fellows is to remind them and say, look, I can describe everything that is on this tissue to you, 
but it's going to be meaningless to anyone. It's going to be meaningless to you. It's going to be meaningless to the patient. The only time it becomes useful is when I can look at what is on the tissue and use it to explain the clinical profile and the phenotype that you have seen. Now then we are putting things together. So if I don't know what you have seen, I don't know what the question is, uh, the best I can do is just to describe a series of changes on the slide and it's almost always useless. Mm -hmm. So if there's one message to the surgeon, to the hepatologist, to the pediatrician out there, the, what you get out of pathology is as good as what you put into it. Take time to ask specific questions and you know provide information to your pathologist and your pathologist will always be able to put things together in a nice package and everyone will be happy. I think that advice translates yeah. across every specialty, no matter who you're talking to, what you are doing. I think one of the biggest frustrations yeah. with uh, consultants in a hospital, the, the subspecialists are typically when usually a resident or a third or fourth year medical student calls, it's like, hey, uh, cardiologist, my, my patient has a heart. Can you come see them? <laughs> right. It's like, well, what's your question? What do you want me to answer for you? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I agree with you. Ryan. That's completely true. It's just that with pathology, there's always this general belief that, okay, we send them the tissue. Yeah. They just look at it and then tell us what is going on in the patient. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, the tissue, you know, most tissues have very few ways of reacting to different kinds of injury. So I might be looking at the end results of an injury that could have resulted from any number of injuries. So I'm not much help unless I really can track back and determine in this particular patient how this injury could have resulted. And that is really the piece that is missing uh, you know, in cases. Working at the university, that is not much of a problem because most of the colleagues we deal with in clinical practice, they pretty much understand this. And so we get a lot of interactions together. Like I mentioned earlier, some of them actually walk down to my office just to discuss the case. So, but generally speaking, there's still a lot of room for improvement in that regard. What do you like the most about being a liver and transplant pathologist? Uh, being able to solve problems. Because every almost every case that comes to us could be any number of things, clearly, from the clinical point. And being able to, it's almost like doing detective work. And so at the end of the day, being able to say, wow, yeah, Eureka, I found this one and I know what is going on in this patient. It's uh, very gratifying. It's very satisfying, especially knowing that the results you are just releasing is going to make a big difference into you know the management of that patient, and it's going to make a big impact in what happens down the line. So in transplant, we one of the metrics that we always keep our eyes on is the short-term graft survivor and the long-term graft survivor. So as a pathologist, it's very gratifying to know that uh, the improvement in the short-term and the long-term graph of survivor has a lot to do with the uh, expertise of the pathologists who 
as you know, being able to guide treatment to make sure that those grafts continue to function. What do you like the least? What do I like the least? Not uh, having enough uh, clinical information <laughs> and having to go through so many cases at times that you wish you had more time to spend on each one and unfortunately you don't. So, for example, you get so many cases and you just want to be able to sign out the case so as to get the patient's uh, treatment started. But sometimes you wish that, you know, you could look at this case and see what is different and what is special about it. You know, as an academician, you're always asking your questions. You know, is there something that I can learn from this case that, you know, is, makes it unique from the other patient? And sometimes you don't always have that luxury to spend those extra time for the academic parts of what to do. So I wish, you know, we could reduce the clinical workload so that we could spread it. The economic environment we are in, I don't think that is going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. How much do you see in the future? Uh, I, I know that Google is really invested and other companies are really invested in machine learning for pathology. How much do you think that will help you uh, not necessarily replace you, but but help you read slides faster. Yeah, it's that we actually just had a lecture on AI in pathology this morning, and I like the conclusion of the gentleman who was speaking that AI is not, like I say, is not going to replace pathology. But I think in the next few years and as short as five years, I say, I think the AI is going to be a component of everyday practice that is going to make things better. So it's going to be pathologists plus AI. It's going to make things a lot easier to do and maybe more, I don't want to say accurate, but, you know, more. maybe we're going to be able to develop more unified criteria for a whole lot of things that will reduce the inter-observer variation that we experience right now. So, uh, I think, for example, you know, you're looking at colon cancer resection and there are 20 lymph nodes. Uh, you could spend one hour just looking for metastasis in those 20 lymph nodes. So I see AI coming to our help that you'll be able to sort out those lymph nodes and tell you the two or three that you really, really have to look at. So that is the kind of input that I see. Mm. Digital pathology is also going to change the way pathology is practiced. It's already changing it. Uh, so, for example, I can be in uh, India, for example, and receiving consultation from my colleagues looking at a case that they are able to scan. In the past, I will have to be physically here to give a second opinion, but now at least I can be anywhere and with VPN and all the you know privacy concerns already addressed. I can just sit down and be able to give a second opinion without being on site. Now there's a whole lot of uh, programs that are actually using digital uh, pathology for primary diagnosis, so we don't have to see the actual glass slice. So these are exciting times, and things are going to move even faster than they have in the last uh, decade, I'm sure. What last words of wisdom do you have for the student uh, or maybe resident listening to this who wants to get more information or wants a little motivation to continue down this path? 
Yeah, so the for the medical students, I uh, would just like to let them know that uh, there are options to interact more in pathology during your medical school years. So there are opportunities for electives. One week, we have people coming for one week electives. We have people coming for one month electives. So take advantage of that. And uh, I, I don't remember any one of our students who have been here for electives that wasn't glad that they did. And many of them don't end up in pathology, but at least that experience uh, was good for them. And we also have a post-sophomore uh, fellowship in the second medical school year where residents, I mean, students come here and spend one year in pathology. So they function more like a junior resident for that one year. And many of those end up going into pathology. So that would be very advantageous. And for students that are not looking to do any one of those, you know, just feel free, walk into a pathology, uh, a pathologist's office and just ask questions and chat and interact with pathologists. When you see them at tumor boards, you know, talk to them, ask questions about what they do. And um, no education is, uh, is wasted. I think the more every physician knows about pathology and pathologists, the better they can make use of the services of a pathologist when they eventually start practicing. And for the residents who are already in other specialties, I think the same advice I would give is the same thing. Uh, some residents can also go in and do electives in pathology, especially the surgery residents. Uh, but most importantly, interact with the pathologists at tumor boards, ask questions, and just be curious as to you know, what we do. All right, there you have it. Again, Dr. Oyadele Adheyi. I hope you got some good information out of the episode today about pathology, some myths around pathology, and much more. If you have a suggestion for a specialty you want covered here on the podcast, first, I would go back and check out all the other episodes to make sure we haven't covered it already. But if not, you can email me, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net, with a physician that you would want me to interview. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.